Welcome to the Green Gold Rugby Podcast Network, and this is the Crash Ball. Thank you to the in-house band, and welcome to episode two of the Crash Ball Podcast, the podcast that's as subtle as a Quade Cooper, knee to the head. My name's Hugh Cavill, and with me, as always, is my producer, Former Wallabies coach and 2GB radio presenter, Alan Jones. Hello. <laughs> Alan, we survived week one. How's it all going? Oh, I'd, I'd say it's going okay, Alan. Thanks for asking. Now, we've had a, a few critics over the past few days come out and say that, in fact, you're not here in the studio with me. Uh, you're actually just a series of unlicensed recordings that I took from the 2GB podcast. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Well, because you see people in George Street haven't got a clue. They've never been where you've been. They've never been where I've been. They don't know. No, they've got absolutely no idea. Prosecutions and heavy (laughs) penalties have to be applied. I couldn't agree more. Well, let's get stuck in. We have an absolute belter of a show coming up, and I cannot wait to get stuck right in. We've got even a special guest joining us a little bit later on to discuss one of the topics, but I'll leave that as a surprise. Uh, Here is what is on the menu tonight. We're talking the resurgent Reds getting up over the lines and what it means for their season. Whether cutting back super teams is a good idea, we're talking about that. We're talking about the Western Force and World Series rugby that starts this weekend over in Perth. And we're talking about the Penrith Emus and rugby in Western Sydney. So strap in, people, this next 20 minutes or so. It is going to be the ride of your life. Let's get to it. Coming into the season, Queensland Reds fans didn't really have much cause for optimism. I mean, they looked pretty dire in terms of their playing roster. They lost a lot of experienced players, um, and not to mention, uh, you know, a rookie coach, a new coach, um, and you know, a pretty thin roster uh, with uh, not a huge amount of depth. And then the decisions to say goodbye to Quade Cooper and and now Carmichael Hunt. It seems that you know you'd you'd forgive them for actually going through as a season with only a couple of wins and and you know settle for some some good showings against better teams, but. They, they are absolutely on fire and, and uh, now won four games for the season and that's as many as they did win in the entirety of last season, um, which is which is amazing given where I don't even think we're halfway through the season yet or, or we, we might be just past it. So, I mean, they're, they're already ahead of where they were last year and, and with, a, with a much um, younger roster and a, and a much less experienced roster. And, and the latest win on, on the weekend was over the Lions, a, a team that has been in the grand final for the last two years um, and had come off a, uh, dusting the Tars 29-0 in Sydney. So you, you can't say that they're, they're beating the easy sides. Um, it, it was a fantastic display, and, and I think the end score was 27-22, and, and they were up 27-0 at one stage, and you know with two minutes left in the game, they, they were up 27-12. So you know it, it was never really in danger of being lost, and... and you would have liked to have seen them kick on a little bit more in the second half, but again, you know they're playing the Lions, and the Lions are a very good side with a lot of depth. So I'm I'm not going to really get too stuck in them for what happened late in that second half there. But you know, lo- looking at that that first half in in particular, it, it was a fantastic display, and it was led by their forward pack. And I mean, I've talked about Taniela Tupo um, last week, and I think more and more he's firming as you know, is he the favourite for the starting? tight head prop jersey he's 
um, at set pieces. He's incredible around the field. He took two amazing pilfers. He's he's chucking the ball up well. He's just a colossus. And I mean, I think Michael Checker would be looking to bring him in um, sooner rather than later. And and then you, you add on guys like uh, Brennan Payne-Garamosa, Isaac Roddy, Caleb Timus, uh, Kane Douglas is, is, is a bit resurgent, which is great to see. And of course, you know, bringing in George Smith, the wily veteran, uh, last week paid dividends too, and he's a handy bloke to bring in uh, from the wider squad. So you know they, they've got so much uh, talent in that in that forward pack, even if they're pretty light on experience. Um, and and then you know you you throw a backline in that's still very young as well, and and they uh, had Hamish Stewart, I think, debuting. Uh, in the 10 jersey, uh, in the starting 10 jersey, and, and I thought he, he showed some glimpses that he might really be something at that level. He he uh, made a half break or made a made a line break that set up the, the Queensland Reds' third try. Um, he, you know, he controlled the game really nicely, uh, you know, he kicked well uh, from the hand, if not from the tee, but, you know, really um, gave the game a nice pace and a nice shape, which allowed the Reds uh, to really to thrive. And, and not to mention his defense was good too. So, I mean, he's really one to watch. And, and I think Samu Karevi is as well as growing in that leadership role. And he looks increasingly like the go-to guy in that back line. Just, you know, a calming influence and he can truck it up when he needs to. And he, and he's generally taking better and better options, which is which is great to see. Um, so, you know, if you're a Reds fan, you've, you've, you've got a lot of reasons to be happy, and that was, you, you could argue that that was the performance of the season, certainly the half of the season, um, and, and they're playing, you know, with a great attitude, they're playing great rugby, and it's great to watch, not to mention, you know, the set piece, and, and it's, you know, it's not just that they're fluking and playing balls to the wall kind of stuff, they're, they're, their foundations are there, and, they're, and their basics are there, and that's scrum. The try that they scored at the end of the first half and warmed the cockles of your heart, seeing an Australian team roll over a South African team and, and score a try five metres out with the time up in up in the first half. I mean, it was absolutely sensational to watch. Their line-out um, can be shaky at times, but their line-out more certainly was working well. Um, and you got to say, Brad Thorne has really set a foundation for the future of this side. And, and you know, it wouldn't surprise you if they can hold on to their roster to see them really competing for the title in, in two to three years' time. And, and it's all on the back of, of really just the, the basics and the, and the simplicity of, of good hard rugby. And Alan... I mean, I'll bring you in here as, as as a coach from the 80s. It's it's all about the simple stuff, isn't it? And as one of my listeners said, stop trying to intellectualise something that's very simple. Yes, very true indeed. Let's move on. Now, I'm pleased to say we've got a special guest joining us in a minute, the founder of Green and Gold Rugby, the one and only Matt Riley. Um, Alan, I believe you and Matt go uh, go back a few years, don't you? He's got the digestion of a sword swallower. Ah, yes, so I have heard. Well... Matt went on a bit of a Twitter rampage over the weekend uh, about the state of Super Rugby, and, and I encourage people to go and check it out on his Twitter feed. Uh, he threw out some pretty strong opinions about about the future of Super Rugby and where we should potentially take it, and some thoughts on Australian rugby and, and where we should take that. So, look, without further ado, let's bring him in. Matt, welcome to the podcast, and, and can you give us the short version of, of what you proposed? Well, mate, can I just say first of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Uh, I know you pretend you, you know, prefer to go solo on this, just you and Alan Jones uh, cranking out this great content. So uh, thanks for letting me be, be part of that. I guess You're welcome. My... Don't, don't push your luck though. You are, the time's ticking here. Let's go. <laughs> I guess. A, I guess. My tweets podcast, were a cry for can't help. Chat for half an hour here. <laughs> oh, mate. Well, look, I guess it was fairly straightforward that um, I, I got. St- 
stuck into there was a couple of great articles that some um, guys uh, I think you know uh, Paul Colley, uh, Cully and Malcolm Knox had knocked out over the weekend highlighting how basically how stuffed uh, Australian rugby is both in support and on the field and then I just said look that's great but there wasn't any suggestions for how we changed it so I got into you know some suggestions for how you would do that and and one way of problem solving is that you take whatever's sort of wrong so you state the the, the, the problem and then you basically just basically state the opposite as its solution and see if what that gets you. And look, there was a number that I went through, but one of them was just that, you know, super rugby as it stands right now is stuffed. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the way the competition's set up, too many meaningless games. That's why no one cares. Turn it on its head and you say, well, therefore we need, you know, we need to get to less or fewer uh, meaningless games. And, and for me, I, I guess I just have a memory back to the 90s of remembering the first time I saw Super Rugby because I'd been living in the UK and I remember seeing, I think it was Super 10. And back then it was just such a meaningful competition and I think that's what really sustained Super Rugby for so long was everybody living off, you know, that that was the pre premier below international rugby, that was the next best rugby there was by a shadow of a doubt. Um, and games in it were, you know, it wasn't a huge season, but that's what made those games meaningful. And every team in that comp was an interesting team and was a powerful team. And you ended up with a competition that, well, like I say, I think it's probably still the powerhouse of where Super Rugby has got to now. I think it actually lived off it uh, for a number of years. And so for me, um, as far as, you know, where do you go next? I think there are other things that we need to do in terms of, you know, Australian rugby, and I, I went into some of those things in the rest of my tweet storm. But when it comes to the Super Rugby comp, for me, it definitely needs uh, kind of blowing up uh, and f and cutting it back, uh, cutting it back. I, and why not Super Ten is where I got to. Well, so surely if we cut back to to three Australian teams, we'll just see another thirty or forty players go offshore, and it'll it'll further further increase the player drain, won't it? Yeah, and that's where you had to see the rest of my tweet storm, I guess. Um, so. The other big thing there was to say, look, whatever we need, what we need to do is basically take, invert the funding pyramid. Uh, whereas, you know, we've been throwing everything at the top of the pyramid. We need to find a way of getting more money towards the bottom of the pyramid. And that's going to mean, and because the problem has been, as more money's come in, we've had more and more super rugby teams, uh, more and more, you know, top level professional contracts, and then just more money goes into that. And it's just become a beast that's been eating itself. At some stage, you need to get out of that cycle. Uh, for me, that's definitely, therefore, you know, you get to fewer teams. That's part of this uh, tighter comp, and that's where you go to. Now, how do you keep, you know, talent interested? Well, first of all, how much talent do you need to feed the Wallabies, uh, for example, if that's what you're worried about? Um, if you've got three super, three strong super rugby teams and then a strong, some sort of strong national competition underneath that, so maybe that's a bit of a juiced-up NRC because you've got more space for it because you've only got Super 10, not Super 56 or whatever we've got now, um, Then and you've got more money for that because it's not all going to super rugby players. That's how you keep hold of those people. Um, it was one of the other things that I said in my tweet storm you need, we needed to do was that what was quite clear, this is one of the other problem statements I said, was clearly the contracting that we've got to now, the laissez-faire, let people go overseas and they'll somehow come back, just isn't working. Um, the second best super rugby side is in Europe. And we need to go back to the old ironclad 
you know uh, contracts where if you're not playing in if you're not playing in Australia, you, you know you're never going to be playing for Australia. And then probably also look at some golden handcuffs, like for example tax incentives to play out or finish your career in Australia. So- I kind of appreciate that, but at the end of the 90s, you know, the, the world was a different place. The rugby world was a different place. You certainly didn't have the lure of these contracts coming from overseas, um, you know, back in the days of the Super 10. I mean, would, would you, I mean, mm. how can we conceivably go back to that if, if, if the world has changed and you might just see, you know, uh, 80% of our talent just go, okay, well, we'll, we'll take the money and run. Look, it's, you're always going to, you're going to have an arm wrestle, but I don't really sure how, you know, four, you know, four teams make, makes that easier. Actually, if you've got three teams, um, you know, you've got more concentrated resource against those players that you want to keep hold of. Um, and like I say, other measures as well, both punitive and golden handcuff. So I remember there was a thing where I think it was Brian O'Driscoll um, and Ireland had a really innovative approach to this. And they, they did this with both sporting players and I think also with like musicians where if you spend a certain amount of your time uh, within Ireland rather than going overseas, you got something in terms of tax credit or a tax break. You basically got, you know, like, you know, two or three years salary um, back in terms of, uh, you know, uh, tax return. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's the sort of thing that you could look into. What are the sort of incentives you could, you could say to keep someone? Because at the end of the day, if they go overseas, you, you're losing their tax anyway. But you've also lost you know, their contribution to your sport. And and that's the sort of thinking I was putting forward, which is that, yeah, we, we need to think differently about it because at the moment we've just said, well, if you've got 60 caps, you can always come back and the rest of you go for it. And I, I think that's clearly just not working. So if we go back to Super 10, trim those numbers, you say it's more meaningful mm. games, but I actually think at the moment there are plenty of meaningful games and we just haven't seen the attendance. Um, and the TV ratings come back, there's a small bump, and I actually think the rugby's better quality this year. But, I mean, is cutting further back to 10 even going to change that? Or or, do you, or is the horse just bolted? I mean, it's just a, is it just a dud yeah. brand? And having less games, even they may be slightly more meaningful, is that really going to restore it to its former... Look, it's a, it's a hard one to know for sure, right? But, um, you know, how much damage have we done to that brand? Having said that, though, I think there are still so many me- meaningless games. I mean, let's be honest, any game with the Sunwolves involved, how is that in any way meaningful? Does anyone care? What's the constituency? Are you really bothered? You pretty much know what it's going to be. Uh, with four Australian super rugby teams performing as they are now, you know, you've got a lot of meaningless games in there as far as why bother watching. I didn't bother watching the Brumbies game on the weekend because there was absolutely no way on earth that was going to be competitive in any way. Um, you looked at the talent within the team, you look at how it's performing, you know, how, how is that something to watch? So, you know, you've got that, uh, and so while well, you've got that inequality between Australia and New Zealand, um, and remember, it's not just around trimming the numbers that that's the only answer. There. There's a bunch of other things we need to do. But in terms of the competition, whilst you've got, you know, that many, what I would call, again, meaningless games that you wouldn't get up in the middle of the night for, um, you know, why are you going to watch it? You get it down to 10. Every one of those matches is a belter. Everyone's a cracker. Everyone's got a really good team in there, stacked full of, you know, uh, internationals or semi-internationals. And that's what Super 10 was always about. Um, now, where are we? Are we at Super 15. 14 or 15? Yeah. 15 at the moment? There you go. Super 15, you've just, it's, it is exactly five teams too many, Hugh. That's, that's the science. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Matt. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll do it again soon. 
The Western Force, remember them? They kick off their World Series rugby campaign this weekend against Fiji in Perth. And they've named a pretty strong side. And uh, the news came today that all of the players that suit up for the Force are also Wallaby eligible, provided they meet all the criteria. Um, which is which is great to see for people in the West. And it adds even more stakes to their campaign over the winter. And they have got a great lineup of matches, and I encourage you to go and check it out. But uh, they're starting against Fiji and playing a few rule variations, which I encourage you to go on and have a look at. And and I suppose the, the three main ones are uh, rolling subs. There's, each team has 12 rolling subs, so you can, you can run people on and off uh, as you like. Um, the idea of a power try, which is a seven-point try, that you can claim if you are scored continuously from your own 22, um, with obviously the opportunity to become nine points with a conversion, um, and a clock on scrums. So scrums will be going for one minute, uh, and one minute only, which will hopefully see teams play ball at scrum time and put the ball in and get the ball out quite quickly. So um, all three kind of interesting rule variations, I've got to say, and, and I, I, I'd be interested to see how they go. Certainly um, the one-minute scrums is a fantastic idea. I'm not sure what uh, the consequence is if the scrums go over one minute, but certainly one of the scourges of the game, I think, is is having the clock on while scrums continuously reset, especially if it's in the last 10 minutes of a game. And, you know, as an attacking side... And if you're chasing a game, seeing scrums go down and losing minutes of time is, is agonizing in that instance. But uh, this will hopefully see a change to that. And, and the rolling subs could be interesting. Uh, it, it might just see you know front rows replaced wholesale at the half-hour mark and then wholesale again at about the 60-minute mark. But uh, look, it, it'll be interesting to see how that goes and how that impacts the game in the last 20 minutes with not as many tired forwards out on the field. Um and the power try idea is, is one that I, I'd be interested to see as well because, I mean, uh, can you imagine a scenario where you're, you know, in the last few minutes of a game, your team's down by eight points and normally, you know, the game's gone away from you. But with the power try concept, you're you all of a sudden in the game. But but can you envisage just a scenario for a second where, say, you've claimed a, a kick from the opposition with a minute to go down by eight, and you're standing on your own halfway line. They've cleared their line. You're standing on your own halfway line. You want to claim the power try in that instance. Do you run the ball back into your own 22 <laughs> to start the play from there uh, to claim the nine-point try? Do you? I mean, I'm not sure what that is, but it could could end up with some slightly farcical scenes. But look, either way, um, entertaining enough and, and worth a try. Um, so, look, I've got to say I can't wait to see rugby played back in the West. I'm really encouraged by what Twiggy Forrest's done over there, and, and, and I think we should all be getting behind it and supporting it wholeheartedly because any opportunity for blokes to play professional rugby, especially over in Perth, is something that we should embrace and support, and tickets are so, selling well, and, and wouldn't it be an interesting sight to see 20,000 people fronting up to a force game and, and, and chalking up the biggest crowd in Australia this year. Um, that would be a, um, a real middle finger to, to the ARU or to Rugby Australia as they are now. So that would be great to see. Um, Alan, you've seen the force squad. Anyone you'd like to see suit up for the force? Dean Mum. Alan, Alan, we did this last week. He's, he's retired a few years ago. Dean Mum, oh. M-U-M-M. Is this just going to become some sort of tired running joke we trot out week after week? Brilliant. Dead right. <laughs> Well, what a thrill for us all. Let's move on. 
And we finish up tonight with rugby in Western Sydney. And on Monday, the Sydney Rugby Union announced the departure of the Penrith Emus from the Shoot Shield comp. They were well; they've been kicked out essentially due to poor results uh, and some safety concerns. And New South Wales Rugby Union and Andrew Hoare, their CEO, have committed to building something in its place, and they're and they're employing new development offices and schools offices, and they have a Western Sydney strategy pursuing partnerships with potentially universities and other sort of organizations out there and they have already started the Colts team in fact uh, the Western Sydney Barbarians who will be taking some of those Penrith players and look I've got to say if they build something in the place of Penrith and it's a big if but if they can actually build something uh, there, then it's a fantastic move, I've got to say. Um, you know, on the face of it, the decline of Penrith is obviously a negative for the game, but look, they've been a basket case for decades, um, and, you know, they're, they're losing, you know, 400 nil cumulatively over, over the course of a weekend in, in grades, and, and this year it hasn't gotten any better. They're consistently being beaten by 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 in every single grade, and, 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 you know, it's nice to have a presence in Western Sydney and obviously it's a key growth market and there's a lot of talented players out there that we want to be competing for. But if these guys are going out and getting flogged by 90 points every week, then then it's not a presence, is it? There's no point. In fact, it's actually to the detriment of the game because, you know, the, the, the young players that come into that setup are, are not going to be engendered with any sort of love of the game. They're not going to achieve any success. They're just going to spend their time standing under the goalposts being flogged by blokes from the eastern suburbs. And it's that's, you know, no way to play rugby. And, and so I can understand why many of them walk out and there's certainly high player turnover and there's high coach turnover. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with them a few times times in, in the course of my subbies career uh, at an organisational level and, and and there's problems there as well so I think it's it's easy to point the finger at New South Wales Rugby or Rugby Australia and say you didn't do enough but I think that neglects to to look at a few organisational factors that, that certainly Penrith were their, were their own worst enemy and and you know I actually think this is an exciting opportunity and if they can say partner with the University of Western Sydney or partner with an organisation out there and you know get some sort of centre for excellence for these young kids and, and Penrith RSL or something like that then I think it's a fantastic opportunity that we can actually get a real live presence in Western Sydney and, and an exciting opportunity to start from scratch so look keep an eye on that situation and I know from people not in Sydney it, it might not be particularly interesting but uh, certainly there's a lot of eyeballs on Western Sydney and have been for a long time and and this is an opportunity to really move that along so let's see how that goes and really that that's it for another week and and uh thank you for joining me i th- hope we've gotten a little bit better certainly got a new microphone here so the audio quality might be a little bit better um i am off next week but i tell you what in a fortnight's time i will be coming back fighting fit and ready to get stuck into it uh alan um why look why don't you leave us with with an inspirational quote for people to consider this week as oscar wilde said we're all lying in the gutter but some of us are looking at the stars. Marvellous. See you next time.